in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be with you all. Blessing to uh, take in the service so far. Um, I was trying to think. It's been quite a while since we were here for a visit. Uh, I suppose it's well overdue that we get here. So thank you for inviting us down. I uh, feel very small up here. I consider myself a younger brother to most of you here, a little brother. So, um, but I pray that <clears throat> that we can be encouraged again today um, by God's word and what he has for us. <clears throat> I don't think I need to say a whole lot more than what we've had this morning, but I do have a message that I feel God has given for us. So I will share that with us. Before I get into the message, I might just uh, might just say, first of all, where we're headed is Matthew 18. That'll be the main. The main text today, um, and if you need a title, if you need a title for the message, the disciples' question, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" is uh, mainly what we'll be looking at. <clears throat> um, the inspiration and burden of this message, uh, I could say it, it comes. Um, very similar to what David said this morning, some of his own study. Um, I, yeah, some some things that that I've been walking through in the last little while, um, outside of the immediate church experience, some other things we're involved in. Um, I uh, went to Matthew 18, um, and what what do you think of when we say Matthew 18? <laughs> if that brother sin against thee, go to him alone. Dealing with an offense from a brother and how to work with that, how to deal with that. <clears throat> Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Amen. <clears throat> and that is part of what we'll be looking at, but uh, it was very inspiring as I looked at that. And then the context of that, Jesus gave that little, um, that little teaching in the middle of a bigger picture. So while that, while that will be part of what we look at today, um, the main question we are considering is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, I don't share this who, as someone who has his act all together or has it all figured out, but um, very much learning together with all of us here. Yes, I was blessed. Blessed by what was shared so far already. What we'll do, we'll go to Matthew 18 and start out by reading... <clears throat> 
reading the whole of the chapter. Ahead of Matthew 18, we have um, in chapter 17, the transfiguration as we know it, um, followed by the evil spirit. Jesus cast out the evil spirit from that young boy. And right after that, he gives... He foretells of his uh, suffering and death. And um, we also have that lineup in Mark and Luke. We won't read those accounts fully, but just to give a little bit of the the backdrop of the uh, Matthew 18. So let's go ahead and read Matthew 18, starting verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, Cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, 
and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. <clears throat> Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. <clears throat> and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. <clears throat> so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their lord all that was done. Then his lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again for your word to us this morning. <clears throat> I pray, speak to us and give us ears that hear, hearts that understand, and a will to take it and pursue what you have for us. <clears throat> so, Father, we look to you and pray that, again, your spirit would teach us, lead us into your truth, commit this time into your hands, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Basically, we want to ask that question that the disciples grappled with and then explore Jesus' answer and some of that dialogue we have surrounding it. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and read a few verses in the other accounts. Mark chapter 9. We'll read verses 30 to 37. <clears throat> and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. He didn't want to be uh, popular at this time. He wanted to pass by secretly. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. 
But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. And he came to, Caper- to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the, called the twelve and said unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Turn back to Luke 9. Verses 46 to 49. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Okay, we'll stop there. <clears throat> and then very much, very similar, but a different setting would be Luke 22. And we'll read a few verses there. <clears throat> Luke 22, verses 22 to 30. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it, it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. <clears throat> so we get a, a, a picture of what was going on there. <clears throat> First of all, looking at this question, the question of the disciples, and one of the accounts give it as they didn't actually ask the question, but Jesus said there was something going on while we were traveling. What was it? Did he know what it was? Probably, maybe. But <clears throat> it's just beautiful to see how Jesus worked with these things. So this question of greatness, um, it comes out numerous times in Jesus' uh, few short years of ministry. Greatness. Were the disciples unique in this quest? It doesn't seem like it was just a one-time question, but at different times it came up. <clears throat> were the disciples unique or is it 
Or is this a common to man searching? Is this a natural, we could say competition? Because I think that does fit. <clears throat> Thinking of that, that, uh, that question, this, this question of being great and that, that quest. Um, I did think of some of you, I don't know how many of you are involved in the children's ministry or have been in times past, but I had to think of many, many of those young men, probably not all, but many have this dream of becoming the basketball player. There's probably many other quests, but that's one that um, I would have yeah, become familiar with a little bit. How many of them have that dream of climbing the ladder in basketball? And there's some sort of drive that gets them out there in the heat, in the cold, with that ball. <clears throat> they want that popular name that the lips of the next generation will speak of at home. You know, so-and-so. <clears throat> and that's just one, one little example this basketball thing. But the question is, how many of them will actually reach that? You think of the number of young men who that is their goal, whether it's for the fame or for the money or whatever it is, that is their goal. How many of them will actually reach that? And if they realized that they won't reach it, what would that mean in their life? <clears throat> So we could look at many different examples of this quest. It could be, yeah, for us, numerous, numerous different things. The desire to be great in our work. Um, some of it may be good, some of it not. <clears throat> But in general, in our world today, what what is it that makes a person great? Now, the disciples were saying, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That needs to be a, a question in our minds. But in our world today, what is it that makes someone great? What comes to your mind when you think of just the natural man and this quest for greatness? What is something that the natural man is seeking for? Little feedback. Eldon. Wealth. If I could have, whether it's a number or not, then I'll be someone great. Brian, were you going to? No. Wealth. Possessions. That boat sitting in the driveway. American dream, the house. <clears throat> Talked about basketball. Many different special abilities or um, things like that that the natural man pursues. Any others? Prestige. Prestige. 
Mm-hmm. Being looked up at, up to, above others. That's the natural. <clears throat> There's probably more we could mention in that. I had to think too, even a person who wants to be great, they might look at themselves and say, well, I'll never be that person. But how many like to claim some affinity or friendship with a popular person? I shook the president's hand or I got, I have a signature, an autograph from some celebrity, some important popular person. And just being, having that, that relationship to that popular person somehow makes me somebody. Is that strange? Is that a strange thought? No. That's very, uh, very real to us. So, this quest for greatness is not, not strange to us. <clears throat> looked at a couple other words um, that fit under this concept of greatness. Um, some that came out in Mark 9, the word was used dispute, disputed. What was it that you disputed by the way? <clears throat> Luke 9 says reasoning. They had a and basically, that, that gives the picture of just, okay, here's something, and we need to wrap our minds around this. We need to figure this out. So we're going back and forth trying to figure this out. <clears throat> I believe Luke 22 used the word strife. So there is the simple quest of me wanting to be somebody, but what comes in here is that fight which becomes putting another down so that I can get above. Um, Competition was a word I looked up. Basically, that means endeavoring to gain what another is endeavoring to gain. We're both reaching for the same goal, but either I'll get it or he'll get it, and there's that that fight there. Um, Greatness. The word prime, and uh, one that I came across, um, I had the thought, but but the terms I found um, under what would be um, understand Wesley's commentary. This question of who is the greatest could be reworded to say the disciples were asking Jesus, which one of us will be the prime minister? In other words, it, in looking back at some of the, the context, we saw how Jesus was telling disciples, telling them of his suffering and death that was coming. We read that they didn't fully understand that. They would have liked to ask questions, but they were afraid to ask. Whatever that all means, they had a little bit of a concept that Jesus would be passing off the scene. So, this reasoning following that could have been them saying, well, if, if he's passing off the scene, 
who's going to take up his place? Me? You? Him? Who's going to be, and with that, that term prime minister, uh, in my mind, it's, it has always just been a term, but looking at the words prime, the first minister, and in their minds, picturing a temporal kingdom, which is probably what they were still grappling with, it, this earthly picture, who's going to be that one out front? <clears throat> Prime speaks of first in order of time or early. Speaks of first in rank, degree, or dignity. Prime minister, the first minister, the lead. First in excellence, prime wheat. Cloth of prime quality. Or a prime virtue such as humility. Prime could also mean first in value. Or importance. So it's the first. Who's going to be this first? That's the question. We looked at competition. We also have the word strife. An exertion or contention for superiority. So, little picture of this quest for greatness. (laughs) There's a lot more in here that we could find than what I'm going to dig out today. Um, Jesus addressing this whole question of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 11, 11. Jesus was speaking of John the Baptist. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus is saying, What is he saying? There hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. So he's acknowledging there's something there. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he just just goes in there and mixes that whole thing up. John the Baptist was very important, very great. There's none greater than him. But at the same time, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So, wow. Can we explain that? Can we understand that? I think that's one of those things that is hard for the natural man to understand. But God help us. Because, as we read, Jesus said, except ye be converted turned around, turned upside down, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. If we don't get this one, we won't make it. So let's go on and explore Jesus' answer. Here in the beginning, Jesus, what was Jesus' first response to this question? All right, I need an object. An object lesson. He called a child, set him in the midst of them, and the one, the one account says, took him in his arms. 
except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What are some of the characteristics of a child as generally opposed to unconverted adults? As opposed to the natural mind, the natural adult mind, the way we think, that quest for greatness. What, what is so different in a child? What are those characteristics? <clears throat> There's two things I believe Jesus um, states very, very uh, clearly here in this chapter. There could be more or it could be said in many different ways. But the, the first one I see is in verse four. Humility. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. And that word humble it's an action word. Humble himself as this little child. The Greek definition is to depress. To put down. To depress. <clears throat> like I said, there's there's a lot in here that we could get. And there's many other places we could look. Jesus says, he that exalted himself in a few different places. He that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That's that. As he says here, humbling himself as this little child. So there's humility. One I had to think of, I don't know that we'll go to those verses, but there were many times Jesus addressed our natural desire to have to seek the praise of men. We want others to look up to us <clears throat> as someone great. And in those in those places, at least the ones that I, I looked up, Jesus says the question, are you seeking for the praise that comes from men or the praise or acceptance that comes from God. And that is a big difference. Humble, humility. How is it with a child? They are they're lowly, lowly in heart. They they know they don't know much. They know they can't do much. They look to others for help. They ask a lot of questions. I think there's enough children among us. That's not a strange thing. And some of us, it's not that long ago, we were in that, in that place and of asking questions. That big three-letter word, why? Why? They ask a lot of questions. And... Some of this, they don't even think about. It's just, it's just their natural. It's the way they respond to life. Think of a child as dependent on their parents, dependent on their father. 
to supply their needs. So humility. And also, it's coming out, but I'll point it out at this point. Verse 6. Jesus speaks of these little ones which believe in me. So I, I see there he's specifying, specifically pointing out faith. In a child, there is that humility and there is faith. So first of all, he, he uses this object lesson and says, speaks to us ourselves. We need to become as little children. <clears throat> we need to humble ourselves. And then he goes on. And it's interesting how he how he sort of changes the picture a little bit. Whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And we heard that receive a number of times today. I think it came out in a song or two. Um, David read it um, there in John chapter 1. I'll quickly read that verse. John chapter 1. As many as received him, that light, Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus is saying here, Whosoever shall receive one such little one in my name receiveth me. It puts action to the word. It's not a simple mental ascent, yes, I receive Christ. But there's, there's an action here. <clears throat> puts shoe leather to this concept. And then he goes on. Like I said, he first started out directly at us, our own attitude and how we look at ourselves, how we look at life. But then he goes on. Whoso shall receive one such little child. In the next verse, whoso shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. And quite a judgment. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So get the picture here. Jesus is lifting up this little child. He's lifting up the characteristics of this child. Humility. Faith in God. And he says... If you, this adult, that the children are looking to for their example, for their to meet their needs, to teach them about God, to teach them about life. If you turn around and offend, it were better for that child if you were not even here. If you were Pat, and this is. This is sounds very harsh. 
Offend simply means to cause to stumble, to entrap, to trip up. The Greek word is skandalizo, scandal. I thought that was interesting. It's not a word we hear very often and maybe not used. Yeah, there's probably different ways it's used, but that placing a stumbling block in front of someone is the picture, the basic picture of the word, scandal. What is it? In my desire to get ahead, I trip someone else up so that they're not ahead of me. In a race, I stick out my foot, cause my brother to fall so that I can get ahead. Scandal, definitely. So, that's the picture. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones? And and I would say, probably most of the time, we don't fully realize I mean, if that, if we're actually doing that, we don't fully realize what that is doing for these little ones. I might say here in the message today, it's a little more of a Bible study and not a preaching. Um, this can be applied in many different ways. Can be applied in the church setting, brother to brother. Can be applied parents to children, elder siblings to younger siblings. I think, uh, yeah. It might mean many different things to so many of us uh, here this morning. So God, open up our ears to hear what we need to hear. Offending one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better that this person were not even here, that he were gotten out of the way. He goes on to say, these offenses in the world, woe, woe to the world because of offenses. It is not a pretty place, but there are offenses. There will be offenses. It just grieved his heart for those who are causing these offenses. Back in Luke 22, I think he's speaking specifically of um, Judas. Um, he mentions offenses and the man by whom they come. I don't know if that's who he's speaking of here or not when he says, Woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. But I think we can apply it even today. <clears throat> but he goes on. He said, For those who are offending these little ones which believe in me, causing them, their simple faith, to be turned aside. It were better that person were not here. But he says, there's another option. You don't need to wait on me to take care of that. You don't need to wait on somebody else to take care of that. He says, if your hand or foot offends you, here's something that you can do. Cut it off. Cast it from thee. It were better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed. And think about it. He says, the foot, the hand, the eye. What three members of our body are more important to life? If we were to do without a hand, how would that affect our life? If we were to do without a foot, 
How would that affect our life? Without an eye. Now go about your normal tasks. Jesus is saying, this is so important. It were better for you to hobble around on one foot than to have two that are causing these offenses. So, God help us. God help us to understand what that means in our own life. We said, like I said, hanging a millstone about someone's neck and casting them in the sea is pretty drastic, but he gives us this plan B. He goes on and says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. And I'm not sure what all what all he's saying here, but one thing I do see is that in relation to these little ones, what we do to them, and little ones could be a little child, it could be, I think I mentioned, a brother that has this simple faith in God, but we cause a breach in that. These little ones have a direct connection to their Father in Heaven. Like I said, I'm not sure what all it means. I say unto you that in Heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father in Heaven. God is very interested. God is very connected to these little things. These little things that happen to these little people. He gives right following that the the, uh, parable, the picture of a lost sheep. And just taking in the picture of what we've seen already, this children that have this humility and this simple faith. Being offended and that simple faith being turned aside. Their eyes... The simple eyes of their heart are no longer turned up, but turned away. How many times adults today can look back, and I know we, we have to reckon with our own choices, but how many that are lost today can they point back and say, somebody in my life, my father, my uncle, my brother, someone in my life, made it very hard for me. Um, and I know, like I said, we need to be responsible for ourselves. But it seems like he's making it clear. He's speaking to those adults. That's who the message is today. Responsibility for my own, the way I treat these little ones. Am I receiving them or am I despising them? <clears throat> Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
I had to think of, um, there's only, only one time, maybe one, should I say one other time, when Jesus took the children, at least that were given the account in the scriptures, Jesus took the children on his knee. Remember that picture? The, di- the disciples told them, go away. He doesn't have time for you. In other words, Jesus is here. He has important things to do. Little children, you're just a bother. Jesus said, no, it's not that way. And there, I think, is another picture Jesus is giving us. For us as parents, I even had it this morning before coming here, sitting at my desk, writing some notes, doing some study. I think in that course of time, all three of my children came to the desk. Daddy, can you hold me? There is a time when we need to take care of these other responsibilities. But how do we treat those little ones when they come to us? No, go away. I have something more important. I was challenged just this morning. So, some of the key words that we are looking at here, receive. Receiving the little ones, the one who receives, one such little child receiveth me. The offense, offending, or causing to stumble, the despising, Yeah, the definition of that word despise is basically to exercise the mind against. In this discourse, he goes on, what we mentioned earlier, relating to my brother. And this is where um, it was inspiring to me to see how what all we've looked at already um, ties into or supports what he says next. <clears throat> How to deal with the offenses that come to me. Someone else trespasses against me and he says, your brother in the church, the family, whatever it is, someone that's close to you. You know them well. They know you well. They do something against you. Go. Tells us what to do. Go. Tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I had to think. Those characteristics that we mentioned that are generally found in children... How much do we as adults need that humility and faith to follow this? Someone else does something against me. It's not even my, it's not even my own wrong. It's something someone else did that was wrong. Is it easy for us to go to that person? Go. Tell him. You and him alone. What do we naturally do? Someone does something against us. What do we naturally do? Tell me. Be quiet and don't talk. Be quiet and don't talk. 
<laughs> Sometimes, to some extent, but not. That's it doesn't usually stop there. We go and tell someone else. And what I see here is when we do that, we're not exercising this humility and faith. The whole purpose of this, Jesus says it plain and clear. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Neil said reconciliation. That's what it's all about. Something has been broken. Something has been breached. Whether he knows it or not. But it has caused me to stumble. It caused hurt on my part. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear, thou hast gained thy brother. But if not, if he will not hear, and you do not gain your brother. He goes on. Take one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. I think I would have gotten this thought from... Brother Dale Heisey, when he was up here this past summer, he said, don't gather forces. Don't gather forces. Take someone else. Tell them. Blow the story up to them. Take them along to shoot down your brother. That's not what it's all about. Take one or two more to be witness. Very likely they were not involved at all, so they don't have a word of of witness in what actually happened. But they can hear you out. They can hear the other brother out. They can speak into the situation in a way that myself and a brother that's not hearing might not be able to get anywhere. So, take one or two more. Not to gather forces, but... Back to the purpose. The purpose is to gain my brother. And if you should neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. If you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Like I said, how can we do this if we don't have that heart of a child that humility and that faith and that desire for our brother to be um, winning alongside of us. The purpose is not for me to win over him, but for us to win together. I don't have a whole lot on the next few verses that binding, binding in earth, bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. That agreeing on earth, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But, going on, he's speaking to the disciples. Peter says, okay, I've got a question. 
My brother does something against me. How often shall I forgive him? Seven times? And think of it. How easy is it to forgive seven times? In Peter's mind, and I think we could agree with him, seven times, that's a lot. That's a lot. If someone does something against me, whether it's the same thing, but it's the same person, they do something against me, seven times, wow. If I can forgive seven times, that's doing pretty well. Jesus says, it doesn't stop there. There's grace available. Not until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, I know, yeah, it's not, this is not a strange verse to us. Um, but like one of the children to answer, what is 70 times seven? Or seven times 70? Let's do some simple math. Do you know, Stephen? 490. 490, that's right. So we said seven times, and it doesn't say it here, but I think in one of the in one of the accounts, he says, in one day. In other words, the picture is, this all happens from sunrise to sunset. Someone gave the, uh, yeah, worked it out quickly. In eight hours, eight hours and so many minutes, that would be an offense every minute. You follow that? Eight hours times 60 minutes is 480. So eight hours and 10 minutes would be 490 minutes. That's someone doing something against me in the workplace all day, every minute. Okay, we got the picture. So forgiveness comes into the picture too. Forgiveness comes into the picture. And he gives the picture of a kingdom. The king and servants. This king wants to find out where all his servants are at. He finds one who owns owes him a lot of money. He went ahead to deal with that. The servant asked for patience. Worshipped him. Fell down at his feet. Lord, have patience with me. The king was moved with compassion, loosed him, forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out, found someone who owed him, in comparison, a very small amount. Laid hands on him, took him by the throat and said, pay me. He had just been forgiven a huge debt. His fellow servant came with the same request, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he would not cast him into prison. The king found out. Delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due. And the picture that that I see here is... God has forgiven me. God has forgiven us a lot. 
can't even imagine all that I've done against him and he has forgiven me. He no longer holds that whole catalog against me. Did I sin against him 490 times in a day? Probably and even more. So it puts it into perspective. Someone, my brother, an equal, does something against me. He doesn't even owe me. Yeah, what I think he might owe me. Forgiveness. Again, following the same, answering the same question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's not about me getting above my brother. To forgive. Yeah. It's not natural. It's not natural. Jesus is calling us to forgive from our hearts the trespasses of our brothers, those trespasses against me. I think I'll take a little time yet and read a couple passages somewhat in closing. Ephesians 4. It's been pretty neat to me to see how Jesus' teachings come out in, in the apostles' writings. In other words, sometimes it might be easy for us to, to think of Jesus' teachings and Paul's teachings and, and all of that. But all the apostles were doing were taking what Jesus said and applying it bringing it into a broader picture. Ephesians 4, and there's a lot more we could uh, look at here, but we'll take the time to read uh, about half the chapter, verses 1 to 16. Just uh, as we read this, think back to what we just looked at, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is what is it that but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we be hence, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. A few pages back to Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> we'll just look at verses 1 to 4 here. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife. There's that word again. Or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the all, every man also on the things of others. And he goes on to say, Jesus was our example. <clears throat> so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? May that be a question in our mind, not for us to fight for, but to ask Jesus, who is the greatest? Do you want to be one of those greatest? I think looking at what we've seen today, that is not a wrong desire. God bless you. <clears throat>